you've spelunked into the Matt Cave. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Matt Cave. Thank you all so much for spelunking on by. Hope you had a better week than I did. Well, I guess the week was okay, but man, my weekend. I'm, I, oof, I got the uh, my yearly flu shot and the, the most recent COVID booster. And on Saturday, it knocked me on my butt. I did the same thing last year, if you'll remember. And I didn't learn my lesson. I decided, you know what? May as well just go all in again. Instead of spreading out the pain, let's just have it all at once. And that's basically where we're at now. Yep. So my Saturday was not a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for a lot of people, though. Uh, yeah, so thank you all for joining me this week. As always, follow me on the social. That is at the Matt Cave Pod on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and let's just get into things. Let's start Let's start with, with the world's football. We call it soccer, but the world's football and the collapse of Real Salt Lake. So since their 3-0 win against Minnesota, they haven't won a game. They have scored... Let's see. This, the, let, let, let me get into this a little bit here. So since that game, they have played six games. In those six games, they have scored a total of three goals. In those games, they have allowed nine goals. You could kind of see how that happened there. Again, Real Salt Lake is playing sort of on the back foot because they don't have the spending power of the Giants like the New York clubs or the Los Angeles clubs. But... In the past, you could always rely on their defense and then maybe get a lucky counter-strike goal, you know, on the counter-attack. But that's just not happening this season. And right now, if the playoffs were to start today, Real Salt Lake would be on the outside looking in. They are not eliminated as such, but this next game that they have, a week from when I'm recording this, actually, next Sunday, October 9th, they're against Portland in Portland and Portland is also playing for their playoff lives and Real Salt Lake does not have the best history against the Timbers so I'm not holding my breath for Real Salt Lake to make a miracle happen again now it's not impossible just let's just look at last year's playoffs but this year there's just not enough on the offensive end And then their defense gives up silly penalties like they did against the LA Galaxy. And so, you know, it's it's basically the ending of the season that we all expected, but we were hoping for more, especially with the start that Real Salt Lake had. Remember how they were first place for a while? But now, it's kind of where everyone expected them to be. Now, they're not near the bottom of the table. They're 11 points clear of bottom of the table, but... You were hoping at least for a playoff bid. So right now, as it stands, they're at 44 points. Everybody that has 47 points or more has clinched a playoff berth. So that includes the two LA teams, Austin, FC Dallas, and Nashville, which leaves two positions left for four teams. Real Salt Lake win and you're in. They, they get to that 47 points. They knock Portland down. And it also gives an opportunity for Minnesota and Vancouver to sneak in. But that's really where it is. Portland controls their playoff lives. If they draw, they're in. If they win, they're in. They just can't lose. 
Whereas Real Salt Lake, if they get a draw, that's the end of the season. And looking at it, the Real Salt Lake, this is just a funny stat line to me looking at this. Real Salt Lake has played 33 games, as has every club in Major League Soccer at the by the end of when I'm recording this today. So Real Salt Lake has 44 points. What that equates to is 11 wins, 11 draws, and 11 losses. That's just a funny stat line. That just looks funny. Uh, negative four to goal differential, just like I've, just like what I've been saying all season. They need attacking punch, and they don't have it. They do. They have gotten better at time of possession, although last night that was not the case. But they have been getting better, keeping the ball, keeping the pace of the game into something that they can control instead of getting into an up and down match. Once it gets into an up and down, all about speed, all about you know counterattacks and all this other stuff, that's where Real Salt Lake will fall short because they're just not as athletic or as deep as pretty much any other club in Major League Soccer. But right now, it was a good effort. Nobody expected anything from Real Salt Lake because of the whole ownership saga that they went through. They have ownership now, and ownership is not really doing anything with the roster at the moment. Their first big step was renaming the stadium from Rio Tinto to America First Field or something like that. And it just doesn't have the same the same chutzpah to it, the same oomph. Because, you know, the chant that, or the song, I guess, I don't know, I, I think it's more of a chant, that, you, that goes on at the game is here at the riot. Well, what are you going to call it now? Here at the amph? Or here at the aff? It doesn't really click. So that, it's, it's unfortunate. But... They are trying to re. They're trying to get fans back after the whole Deloy Hansen debacle. So don't expect many changes as far as roster is concerned. I would be looking more so for changes at like the stadium, better seats, better concessions, happier employees, uh, better parking is one thing that they're looking at. Adding seats is another one they're looking for because they want to make this a, an attractive place to play for the U.S. men's and U.S. women's national teams, which is a feather in the cap of any soccer stadium in the U.S. So that's really where ownership is looking right now. They're not looking at on-the-field success as any sort of barometer for what they're trying to turn Real Salt Lake back into. Because back in the day, I mean, you knew who played for Real Salt Lake, at least a couple of people. You knew Kyle Beckerman. You knew Joel Plata. You knew Nick Raimondo. You knew those guys. Like, they were staples. Now you don't know who's playing there. Demir Kralak was the captain, but he has had just a slew of injuries all year and hasn't been able to play. Albert Ruznak was really their guy the last year and a half or so as far as, like, advertising is concerned. But then he moved on to, I think, Seattle with Freddie Juarez, the former manager. And what does that leave you with? Exactly. I know a lot of the players because I follow Real Salt Lake, but to the average person who lives in Salt Lake City or lives in this region, you can't really name all that many people on the team. If You probably couldn't even name one player on the team. And so that is something that the new ownership group is going to address. Maybe they'll make a splash and try to get one of the European players who's done playing in Europe. But I doubt that's going to happen because those guys 
who come over from Europe want to play in Florida. They want to play in Los Angeles where the weather's nice. We have decent weather here, but it's not warm for most of the season. I, I'll, I'll direct your attention to the games that Real Salt Lake has played in, in blizzards. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, but I'm not expecting a big splash. I'm not expecting a lot of moves in the transfer market this, this offseason for Real Salt Lake. The transfer window opens January 1st. That's the next one, I believe. It might be December 1st, but I'm pretty sure it's January 1st. And we'll just see what goes from there. So that's the season for Real Salt Lake. Um, Good try, lads. We'll get them next year. So let's move on to college football. And let's start with the Thursday night game of BYU versus Utah State. And oh boy. This one really just got my hackles up in this game. Um, Utah State in the first half put up way more fight than they had any right to because they were down their starting quarterback. They were down their starting running back. They are 1-3. They've had a couple of humiliating losses. Yeah, it's it's a rivalry game for them. But I just... BYU just came out of the gates like they just didn't want to play. It's the same thing with like against Wyoming. In the first half, it just looked like they didn't want to play. They didn't want to be there. Why are we playing this game? Why are these guys putting up this kind of a fight? We're better than them. They should just roll over and let us win, and we can go home. That's really what the first half was like. But as the second half started, they finally woke up. And if it weren't for Jaron Hall, BYU would have lost that game. I don't know if there's another quarterback on the roster that can play like Jaron Hall has been playing. They have a couple of good ones in Jacob Conover, who is the direct backup to Jaron Hall, and Soljay Mayava-Peters, who is a highly, well, I say highly, but for BYU, he was a highly touted recruit. And it's just... He kept them in the game. In the first quarter, let me just start there. In the first quarter, BYU ran a total of five offensive plays. Five. They had the two on that first drive, the bomb to Gunnar Romney, and then the, 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 the catch and run by Keanu Hill for the score. And then after that, it was a fumble. It was a backwards run to this from the same guy that fumbled, by the way. And a pass that went backwards uh, with Gunnar Romney getting lit up by the Utah State safety. That was the first quarter. Utah State dominated the first quarter. If I'm Notre Dame, if I'm Arkansas, Stanford, what have you, what Boise State left on the schedule for BYU, you just need to look at that first quarter and just go, man, if we just run the ball against these guys, we win. If we stick to the running game and do not deviate, and if we don't turn the ball over, we win. And th- yeah, that's what would have happened. If Utah State didn't turn the ball over, Utah State could have won the game. They really could have. So BYU has a lot to work on, and it is coaching. It is coaching, 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 coaching for BYU. I uh, tweeted it during the game, and you can go and check out that tweet at twitter.com slash pod, where I said, at what point, what, at what point does it take for you to go to your defensive coordinator and just say you're not getting the job done, goodbye. BYU has one of the worst run defenses in the country. In the country. That's not a Power 5 program. That's what you want to be. That's where you're going. 
Why don't you start playing like it? Why is your defensive coordinator so averse to four down linemen when three down linemen couldn't stop a junior varsity high school team from running for 100 yards in a quarter? That is where BYU's defense is at. So Notre Dame, yeah, it's a down year for Notre Dame, but they still have a ton of great offensive linemen. They have a ton of great running backs who they can just run all over BYU all night in Las Vegas, and BYU can't say boo about it. So BYU fans, get ready. Next week, expect to give up 300 yards rushing because if you give up 200 rushing yards to Utah State, good heavens, you might give up 400 to a team like Notre Dame or to a team like Arkansas, the next two opponents. And I cannot speak good enough about Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall is fantastic. I would posit he's a better quarterback than Zach Wilson. The reason I say this is because he's more patient. Jaron Hall is more willing to take a sack than Zach Wilson is. And that's good because Zach Wilson, in order to not take a sack, will just throw the ball, whether that's a good idea or not. And Jaron Hall used to be that guy. Last year, he did that a lot. He would throw across his body as he was rolling out of bounds. Now, he either throws it away, he tucks the ball and runs out of bounds, or he takes the sack, gets on to the next play. He survives to live another down. That's what Jaron Hall has been doing this year, and it's been fantastic. And now his receivers are coming back. Gunnar Romney is back. Cody Epps, Braden Cosper, Chase Roberts, if he can come back healthy. Keanu Hill, Isaac Rex, the list goes on. Like, this offense is really good. They have two All-American offensive linemen. It's a very good offense. It's just the rushing game. And I don't put the running game on the offensive line or the running backs, really. I put it on Aaron Roderick. Why are you running stretch zone plays that rely on speed and one-cut decision-making going up the field? You don't have that. Christopher Brooks is not that guy. Christopher Brooks is a mauler. Just look at him. He's not fast, but he is going to run somebody over. Just run straight ahead. You have the offensive line to do it. Why don't you do it? Why are you so afraid of doing it? Why do you run these stretch zone reads? I don't understand. And when your offensive line gets pushed around by two Mountain West schools, that is embarrassing when you have two preseason All-Americans on your offensive line. Run the ball straight at them. Tell the other team, we're just going to beat you up and you have to stop us. Kind of what other teams are doing to your defense. Taking their manhood. So Utah State put up more of a fight than they had any right to. BYU played very poorly for two court, for an entire half, really. And then they woke up in the second half. The final score is a little bit closer than it had any than it, than it should have been. It's 38-26. Utah State got a late touchdown because of sloppiness from BYU. And again, that goes to coaching. Kalani Sataki is very good at taking the blame for a lot of stuff. Well, he has to start taking a lot more blame or he's going to have to fire his friend, Elisa Tuiaki, and get into the ear of his special teams coach, Ed Lamb, to fix things. He doesn't have a kicker. Jake Oldroyd missed two kicks and there was no pressure on him. 
to make those kicks other than the regular, oh, you need to make this kick. So there's a lot wrong with BYU. Magically, they're at 4-1, which is one game better than what I had them at going coming through the first almost half of the season. I give them no chance next week against Notre Dame. I give them no chance the week after that against Arkansas, and then we'll go from there. But 4-1 is a lot better than what I had. And they actually moved up in the polls. We'll get to that here in a second. So let's move on to the other in-state school in Utah. And I don't know how many times I'm going to have to say this throughout the year, but calm down in the first quarter. Come on. Like, give me a break. <laughs> in that first quarter, it was the sky is falling again. Like, my goodness, guys. Just, it's okay. Just breathe. Calm down. Relax. Okay? It'll be It'll be okay. And I seriously don't know what Tavion Thomas did or why he's in Kyle Whittingham's doghouse, but the Utes need him. Like you've been able to get by with what you've with what you have so far in the season, and you figured out your offensive line after the first week. Get over it. Whatever Tavion Thomas did, get over it and get him on the field. You you're gonna need him against UCLA and you're gonna need him against USC. Like the next two weeks are your season. You have to win these two games. But when I was watching this game, and thank goodness it was in the middle of the day. Can I just say that? I was I was on the ropes because of those two shots I got. But having this game in the middle of the day, just something for me to just, you know, veg out and just watch. I was never worried about the Utes. Not for one second during this game. Because their defense is so... It's not fair, okay? Coming as a former and recovering BYU fan... Watching the defense for Utah just makes me so envious of what Utah has for their defensive staff. Morgan Scally, who is the heir apparent for Kyle Whittingham, if they can keep him. I mean, if Morgan Scally's defenses keep playing like this, he's going to get a head coaching job sooner rather than later. So it's a double-edged sword here. But that defense is so disciplined. I rarely see a busted coverage. And... Even if I do see a busted coverage, odds are the the, the opposing quarterback's not going to see it because he hides it that well. And then what can you say about Clark Phillips? Three interceptions. Three. Are you kidding me? And, well, one was a pick six. And then two were just fantastic, just feats of athleticism. That guy is an All-American. That guy is a potential first-round pick in the NFL draft. Wow. And then what else can you say? I mean, Devon Vele is stepping up in a big way. He, I guess, he just decided, yeah, if he, if 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 uh, Brant Keithy's going down, I'm I'm the guy. It's me, coach. It's me, and that's what he did. Seven catches, ninety four yards, and a touchdown. He was very reliable. I didn't see him drop very many passes, which again, I'm very envious. As a Zach Wilson, I don't know if I want to call myself a fan, but watcher with all the drops and tip passes that he had to deal with. We'll get to that in a moment. And with BYU receivers constantly dropping easy balls, as well as BYU defensive backs dropping easy interceptions. Well, watching Utah's defense makes me so envious. So they do need to get... Tavion Thomas needs to do whatever he can. I don't know if he needs to wash Kyle Whittingham's car. I don't know if he needs to vacuum his office. I don't know what needs to happen. 
but he needs to be in their good graces because there is something missing in that running game without Tavion Thomas. He had six carries for 13 yards, no impact. Tavion Thomas is a grinder. They need to give him and feed him the ball. While Cam Rising is a good quarterback, I don't know if I trust him to be the quarterback to carry my team for the bulk of a season or in a huge, huge game. And a lot of people blame Cam Rising for that interception at the end against Florida. I don't. I blame the officials, the play call, and the receiver for falling down. That's what I blame on that play. I don't blame Cam Rising at all. I think he made the right read. It's just his guy fell down. If his guy was standing up and boxing out like he would have normally been, Brant Keithy catches that ball, Utes win. That's just how it is. But I would ride with Tavion Thomas. That's what happened last year, and it got you a Pac-12 title. Do not go away from that just because Cam Rising is improving as a quarterback. That's my warning as somebody who has watched teams run away from good running backs, the Philadelphia Eagles, trusting in a quarterback that was improving but is not a guy that can do that yet, Jalen Hurts. So that's where we're at. I am not terribly nervous about the UCLA game. UCLA faced their first real team last week and barely got the win, and Utah is demonstrably better than Washington. So I am not nervous at all about this game against UCLA because the quarterback for UCLA is going to throw interceptions to Utah's defensive backs. That's just going to happen. And yes, multiple interceptions. I don't know if Clark Phillips is going to have another multiple or another multi-pick night, but it's gonna the, the defense is going to feast on this guy. It's just up to the offense to play turnover-free football and for Tavion Thomas to get back in Kyle Whittingham's good graces and just run over UCLA. So I'm not worried at all. So that takes us to the new and improved top 25 poll, and it is improved. I'm starting to agree a little bit with what they're saying. Um, There are, well, let's just get into it. There There are a few quibbles I have. So number one is Alabama. Duh. They crushed Arkansas even with Bryce Young leaving halfway through the game with a shoulder injury. And it was a very not good shoulder injury because he was favoring it and kind of almost carrying his arm as they were going off the field. That's not very good news. Um, And so we'll see what happens. They face Texas A&M this next week, which in the preseason would have been, you know, the game of the year in the SEC. As it stands now, Jimbo Fisher, if uh, he gets blown out here, he might get canned. That's kind of where Texas A&M is at. Number two is Georgia. They slipped behind Alabama because they escaped Missouri 26-22 in a last-second run into the end zone. Very, very scary moment for the Bulldogs. Number three is Ohio State, who crushed Rutgers. And I don't know what Greg Schiano was thinking, but Greg Schiano, the head coach of Rutgers, ran across the field after a special teams play and got in the face of head coach Ryan Day. I don't know what that was about. It was a special teams play. There may have been a late hit, but I mean, nothing terrible, nothing too out of the norm of a regular football game. And yeah, there was some talking back and forth, but it's football. It's going to happen. Why is Greg Schiano sprinting across the field to get in the face of Ryan Day? If Ryan Day gets in trouble at all on this, that's stupid. That's stupid. 
Number four, Michigan. They beat Iowa in Iowa, so a sneaky game. Uh, oh, by the way, Georgia faces Auburn next week, who lost to LSU this week. And Ohio State faces Michigan State, who has fallen completely apart. And like I said earlier in the year, was overrated, and it was a name that they wanted to have be important. Yep. Number four, Michigan. They escape Iowa 27-14 in a very sneaky game. If Iowa had any semblance of an offense, they could possibly challenge for the Big Ten crown. But as it stands right now, they don't have an offense, and they haven't for like a year and a half now. So next up, they are at Indiana, who, yeah, it's it's Indiana. Uh, number five, Clemson. They beat my pick for the ACC crown, NC State, 30-20. to but it was at home. DJ Uyunglele was not impressive, in my opinion, at all. His average completion, like average completion, was seven yards. Seven yards. Really? And this is the guy that you think is going to lead you to a national title? He can't throw the ball more than seven yards reliably? And no, he can't. If you look at any of his deep passes... Those balls are ducks. They are just wobbly and ugly and barely make it to where they need to go. Who boy. Um, yeah, if Clemson runs into Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they're going to get clobbered. Number six, USC. One of those teams, overrated. They want the brand back, so they're going to make sure it's back. They were struggling against Arizona State, who is without their basically their coaching staff. Uh, they were struggling with them for about the first two and a half quarters. And then USC's depth and talent kind of won out over Arizona State. Uh, 42-25 is the win for USC there. They're up against Washington State at home. Washington State will be an interesting test for the Trojans because Washington State is having a good year. They're not on the same talent level as an Oregon or as a Utah but it's a team that believes in themselves and has kind of got that us-against-the-world mentality, which is always scary for a team like USC, especially when USC has Utah the week after that. So this is a potential look-ahead game that they need to be careful about. Number seven is Oklahoma State. They beat Baylor 36-25 at home, so they jump up two spots. Uh, next week, they're against Texas Tech, who has upset a couple of teams. So we'll see. Um, it was unfortunate that Baylor did not pull out the victory for BYU fans. But after seeing Baylor's performance against BYU and after seeing a couple of games that they've played this year, I think they might have been overhyped a little bit. So, yeah, Oklahoma State's up to number seven. Number eight, Tennessee. They were on a bye week. Another one of those teams. They want the brand back, so they're going to make sure they're back for as long as they can. They're at LSU this week. LSU just barely snuck into the top 25 this week. I don't know what to make of them and Brian Kelly and all of that stuff, but we'll see with Tennessee. I don't know. We'll just have to see. Number nine, Ole Miss. It, this is another. This isn't a team that where they want a brand back because if you look at the SEC, there are two teams that have never won an SEC title in the SEC, and that is Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Those are the two. So I don't think this is a brand that they want up there. I don't think this is one of those teams that they want to celebrate, like a Tennessee or USC or Michigan. Ole Miss is number nine. They beat number seven Kentucky at home in, on a very odd sequence of plays to end the game. 
Kentucky scores a touchdown, but it gets called back because of a stupid penalty. And then the quarterback that everybody has slated going in the first round, I don't see it personally, but the experts have going in the first round, fumbles the ball the very next play. Like That was such a weird sequence of events. Ole Miss comes out with a victory there. They jump up to number nine. They face off against <laughs> SEC powerhouses Vanderbilt. Oh, boy. Uh, number 10, Penn State. They beat Northwestern 17-7 to in an ugly, ugly game. It was very bad weather in Pennsylvania this weekend, so uh, they face off against Michigan. Not this week, but the week after. So they have a bye week next week. Number 11, our Utah Utes. They move up one spot. They should move up higher. They're a top 10. I would say they're a top 7 team. They crushed Oregon State. Oregon State never had a chance. And they face off against UCLA in Los Angeles next week at 1.30 Mountain Time. Number 12, Oregon. They beat down the Cardinal of Stanford. And this next week, they are at Arizona. I mean, it's Arizona. What do you want? Oregon's going to win. Number 13, Kentucky. They fall to Ole Miss. And they fall down to number 13. Up next is against South Carolina. Kentucky made a lot of mistakes in that game. That's really what beat them. They beat themselves, in all honesty. Um, number 14, NC State. They lost to Clemson in Death Valley, 30-20. to They are up against Florida State at home next week in primetime. But that offense is not what I was expecting it to be, and hopefully they can figure it out because they are my pick. <laughs> they are my pick to win the ACC after all. Number 15, Wake Forest. They jump way back up after beating number 23, Florida State at home and only barely losing to Clemson the week before that. I posit they should have won that game. Um, this next week, they face off against Army. So it was an awesome game last year. I don't know if anybody remembers this other than like me and like football diehards, but that game, that final score of that game was 70-56. to 56. Yeah, that, was, that game was a barn burner. Uh, we'll see what happens in the encore. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, but we'll see. You never know. Number 16, BYU. They move up three spots. Why? I th- These guys didn't watch the same game I watched, but they beat Utah State 38-26 this next week. The season ends. <laughs> they are technically at Notre Dame, but it's in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. So it'll be more closely to a home game because the crowd will probably be in a 60-40 BYU versus Notre Dame fans. Um... The game will really come down to if BYU's defense can get off the field. If they can, then BYU has a shot. If they can't, Notre Dame is going to crush them. Number 17, TCU. Jump into the top 25 after, um, well, let's just say they beat Oklahoma. 55-24. to 24. Um, That game, you uh, did not want to be a quarterback for Oklahoma. Oklahoma's top two quarterbacks went down with injury. One was a dirty hit, and I'm not afraid to say it this time. It was a dirty hit on Dylan Gabriel. The second one I didn't see, but he was hurt as well. He had to get carted off. So you were down to your third-string quarterback. I mean, granted, that didn't happen until late in the fourth. The game was pretty much already over. But Oklahoma, they were my pick for the Big 12. Whoops, got that one wrong. They face off at Kansas where college game day is going to be for the first time ever in Lawrence, Kansas. And no, it's not for college basketball tipping off. That's still a couple weeks away. They're going to be there for TCU against Kansas. Both teams undefeated, by the way. Nobody had that. 
Number 18, UCLA. They are still unbeaten. They barely beat Washington at home, which is why I am not worried at all for their matchup against the Utes. The Utes are going to win this one. They are going to win this one. Number 19, the aforementioned Jayhawks of Kansas. They beat Iowa State 14-11 to at home against the Cyclones. And they face off against unbeaten TCU that just racked up 55 points against Oklahoma. And Brent Venables, who was the former defensive coordinator at Clemson. Yeah. Number 20, Kansas State. They move up five spots. They beat Texas Tech 37-28 at home. Their next game isn't until week after next. So they have a bye week next week. And then the game after that is TCU. Interesting, interesting stuff. That could be a huge one as far as... Big 12 implications are concerned. Number 21, Washington. They fall because they lost to UCLA. Next up, they get a freebie. They're against Arizona State up in Seattle, so they'll be all right. Number 22 is Syracuse. No, we're not talking college basketball here, guys. Kentucky, Kansas, and Syracuse are all ranked in football. This is not a drill. They beat Wagner 59 to nothing. It's okay if you haven't heard of Wagner. They're an FCS school. Um, They... uh, have a bye week this next week, and then they face off against NC State. My pick for the ACC crown. Wow. Um, my picks are not looking good this year. Mid- 20, number 23, Mississippi State shellacked Texas A&M, 42-24. They face off against Arkansas this next week. We'll see what damage they can do against Arkansas after Arkansas is recovering from the freight train that is Alabama. Number 24 is Cincinnati. They come back into the top 25 after beating Tulsa. Up next for them is South Florida in a game that BYU fans are rooting for the Bulls. And probably the last time they should root against Cincinnati until Big 12 play. And even then, you only root against your conference uh, your conference mates. You only root against them when they play against you. That's how it should work. That's not how it works, but that's how it should work. And then rounding off the top 25 is LSU. They barely beat Auburn. Uh, up next is Tennessee at home in Death Valley. But, oh boy, I don't think LSU is a top 25 team. I really don't. I think Baylor should be 25 over LSU, but I will see. We'll see what happens as we move forward. So the teams that dropped out of the top 25, Baylor, I hardly knew her, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma, oh boy, Arkansas, Minnesota, Minnesota lost to Purdue, Florida State after losing to Wake Forest, and Pitt after losing to, I want to say Duke? Who did they lose to? Who did they lose to? Pit, 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 pit. The Panthers of Pit. No, they lost to Georgia Tech, which is even more embarrassing because Georgia Tech just fired their head coach and athletic director during the week. Oops. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's college football. Uh, that is what's going forward here. I would expect USC to have a lot of trouble against Utah. But that's not for a couple of weeks. UCLA is riding high right now. But it's all going to come crashing down when they face off against Utah. And then BYU, you're on upset alert. I know it's weird to say that because it's Notre Dame. But BYU is on upset alert because Notre Dame isn't ranked. And BYU is. So that's the state of that. Oh, boy. Oh, brother. Okay. So let's move on to the NFL real quickly here. And if you had the Eagles as the only undefeated team in week four, raise your hand. If you're raising your hand, you're a liar. The Eagles beat the Jaguars 29-21 to after a first quarter that was abysmal. 
from the Eagles. They allowed the Jaguars to march down the field and score. And then, hey, Jalen Hurts, the QB, who's not really a QB, threw a pick six. Yeah. By the way, Jalen Hurts' stat line on the day, this is a quarterback, okay? This is a quarterback. 16 to 25, 204 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Yeah. Yeah. Ran the ball 16 times, 38 yards for one touchdown. That was almost disallowed because he fumbled. <laughs> if he didn't reach his arm across the the old goal line there, he uh, would have lost the football. Unbelievable to me how you can be that bad at throwing touchdowns when you have A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith, Bart Scott, or not Bart Scott, uh, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, all of these weapons. You cannot throw a passing touchdown. Really? Really? And I watched a couple of his uh, fade throws to Devontae Smith, to A.J. Brown. They were bad. The wide receiver never had a shot. So it's by the skin of their teeth that the Eagles are 4-0. It's unbelievable to me. But again, you look at their schedule. Who have they played? Nobody, really. They've played Washington. Ooh. Jacksonville. Oh, boy. Minnesota. Oh, there's there's a world beater. And Detroit. And they barely beat Detroit. And they barely beat Jacksonville. They beat Minnesota. They just beat Minnesota. So, I mean, I don't know. When I look at this team, I'm not convinced that they're going to do anything as we get further into the season because the defenses that they're going to run into are going to be demonstrably better than what they've run into so far. But the Eagles win this one 29-21, whatever. Cardinals beat the Panthers 26-16 in a heartbreaker for me and my fantasy team because I needed Christian McCaffrey to do more than he did. The Packers beat the Patriots in overtime. That should not feel great if you're a Packers fan because the Patriots were already down Mac Jones and then Brian Hoyer went down with a head injury and they were facing off against a rookie third-string quarterback who almost beat them in overtime. So that's a very precarious 3-1 and situation for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers needs to do better. He's my fantasy quarterback. He needs to do better. Raiders beat the Broncos for the Raiders' first win of the season. You did it. You're not going to join the Lions and be winless as one of the only winless teams in history. They beat the Broncos at home 32-23. Russell Wilson and that Broncos offense, they just look confused. Like They don't know who's in charge. In London, we had the Vikings face off against the Saints with the Saints losing the game on a last-second double doink. Yep, double doink. The uh, Bears know your pain, New Orleans, but they didn't feel it more acutely because the Bears double doink was in the playoffs against my Eagles, by the way. Taysom Hill ran for a score in that game, so you have that. The Browns fall to the Falcons. The Browns should lose every game. Nobody should watch them play their games. That franchise is a disgrace, and they should not be around anymore, honestly, because of the whole Deshaun Watson thing. So the Falcons beat them 23-20. to Uh, I didn't really know too much about this game. Tyler Algier had himself a day. 10 carries for 84 yards. Pretty good day. Looks like he's ingratiating himself to the Atlanta Falcons coaching staff there. The Cowboys beat the Commanders. The Commies, the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins. 25-10. CeeDee Lamb is finally paying off for where I selected him in the fantasy draft that we had. Six catches, 97 yards, and a touch. 
Pretty good stuff from Cooper Rush. I don't think there will be a quarterback controversy like Jerry Jones wants, but he is holding down the fort nicely for whenever Dak Prescott can come back healthy. In the highest scoring game of the week next here, who had the Seahawks and the Lions? And you didn't. The Seahawks win this one 48 to 45 in a game where defense was very, very much optional. Jamal Williams had a career day, 19 carries, 108 yards, two touchdowns, and he tacked on a catch for a yard. And that game was a barn burner. That was a fun one. I mean, if you don't like defense, that game was the game for you. Uh, Speaking of boring teams, the Titans beat the Colts 24-17, and my pick for the AFC South is not looking great. Matt Ryan is not looking terribly good. He's getting better each week in his new duds, but, oh, brother, brother, brother. Man, you can really tell how the NFL has gone to the mobile quarterback when you watch quarterbacks like Ryan Tannehill, like Matt Ryan. They they cannot run, or even Tom Brady to a certain extent. They just can't run because they're too slow. They run a 6-0-40. It's, it's kind of scary because you think they might break something like a hip or something. So the Titans win that one. They are atop the AFC South, tied with the Jaguars there. Never thought I'd say that sentence. The Giants beat the Bears, improved to 3-1. and one. They keep pace with the Eagles and the Cowboys. Again, a sentence I didn't really ever think I was going to say this year. Saquon Barkley has been a delight for my fantasy team, as well as for Giants fans everywhere. The Bills beat the Ravens on a last-second field goal after Lamar Jackson made a boo-boo. He, I mean, he's not infallible. I would much rather have him as my as the quarterback on my team than the quarterback I currently have. But you make a boo boo; it, it happens. But the Bills win this one three to one. They kind of kind of recover from their loss last week against the Dolphins. But they need to figure something out. Uh, it seems just like if you double teamed Stefan Diggs, that's good enough. There's no threat of a running game from Buffalo at the moment, so they need to figure something out. The Chargers get back on track. And it helps when you face off against the Texans. And the Texans are basically the team that will get you back on track this season. 34-24. Justin Herbert is still dealing with cracked rib cartilage. Ow. Even saying that sentence hurts. 34-24. And the Jets. Zach Wilson came back in the first half. I wish he didn't. He did not. (laughs) He did not look good. In the first half. But in the second half, he improved drastically. And I don't know if that was the play calling or what, but it improved drastically. And Zach Wilson's first touchdown of the year wasn't passing. It wasn't running the ball. It was a reception from Braxton Berrios on a reverse sweep. How about that? So he did guide the Jets back to a comeback victory. The first one in his career. Or not the first one, but the biggest one of his career. And, yeah, the Jets are 2-2. Two and two. I mean, they're one game back of first place in the AFC North. They are one game ahead of the hated Bill Belichickers in New England. I mean, I, you need to hang your hat on something when you have a franchise like the Jets. May as well hang your hat on that for at least one week. And then in the Thursday night game, I mean, the, I'm just going to say the score. The score is tertiary to what happened. The Bengals won 27-15. What happened in that game was exactly what I was talking about on my show last week. 
Tua Tungavailoa should not have been in that game. Tua Tungavailoa should not have been allowed back into the Buffalo Bills game. He was not okay. That stumble against the Bills was scary. Even people who don't watch football, I have friends who don't watch football, they took a look at that clip and they went, whoa. And he was let back in the game? He was playing? Yeah, he was. And then he was starting the game for the Dolphins against the Bengals. Four days! Four days after that concussion. And it was a pretty routine sack. I mean, it is as routine as getting slammed to the ground by a 300 and some odd pound man can be. It was a pretty routine sack. Tua hits his head on the turf, the back of his head on the turf. And what happened was terrifying. What happened was his hands crumpled together in a nervous system response to trauma to the brain. It took them about 20 minutes to get him onto a stretcher to get him off the field into the hospital. That's not okay. That's not the look you want to have. First of all, from a marketing perspective as the NFL, especially with all the garbage you've been spitting about player safety, about the technology they're using to improve the helmets, to improve brain health for their players. And then you see Tua laying prone on the field for 20-some-odd minutes with his fingers all rigid and crumpled at weird angles, getting his face mask removed because they don't dare remove the helmet because they don't want to dare do any more damage than what's already been done. Now, thankfully, Tua, according to all reports and according to his own Twitter, he's doing okay. He has full range of motion, all that stuff. He's For all intents and purposes, he is okay. He's not okay to go back into an NFL game, but he is okay. And that right there is a small miracle. The NFLPA fired the doctor, the independent consultant that they had, that they use to determine if someone should come back from a concussion or a hit to the head, which... Give me a break. A hit to the head is always a concussion, period, end of story. You can't delineate between the two. If you get hit in the head, that's a concussion. Your brain is going to be in your skull rattling around. That's just how it works. The NFL needs to do better. I'm going to echo basically every talking head from ESPN, from Stephen A. Smith to Rob Ninkovich to... Samuel Acho to all of the others, Bart Scott, you need to do better. And not just the NFL, the teams, the team doctors, the coaching staffs, and even the players themselves need to police themselves better. Because if... I, I, I did play organized sports. I never played football, but I did play organized sports. And if somebody was had a reaction to some sort of collision or play that Tua had, I would like to think I would be strong enough to go up to that person and say, no, dude, you're not coming back in. You got to go out. You're not okay. You're not right in the head. Your day's done. I'd like to think I would have been that person. But Stephen A. Smith put it very well. He's saying, I'm not blaming the players, but at what point do you just step in? where you figure your coaching staff, your training staff is failing your safety 
and that you just need to step in to help out the brother. Because all NFL players from all backgrounds all say that it's a brotherhood. Well, I'd like to think that if I was experiencing something like that, my brother would step in and say, hey, you're not right. What's wrong? Why didn't anybody do that? Why did the head coach assume that his quarterback was okay? I know at some point you just have to trust your training staff and you have to trust the independent evaluator. But if they say he's okay, did he pass the eye test? That's what Rob Ninkovich said on ESPN on Get Up on Friday morning. He said, all right, fine. All of these experts say, okay, he passed the eye test. As a player, as a coach, or not the eye test, but you know what I mean. He passed all the the concussion protocol, whatever, the garbage they have set out. Did he pass the eye test? No. Everybody, everybody watching that game knew something was wrong, and it was not a back injury like they said. Not once did Tua reach for his back. When you stand up, start to run, and almost fall over yourself, you're not okay. The NFL failed Tua. I knew it was going to happen. I said it was going to happen. And at some point, somebody has to just step in and save the player from themselves because the player is always going to want to play. Romney, I, I keep going back to what Romney said on ESPN, but what he said hit it on the head. The player is going to want to go out and play. That's his livelihood. That's how he's going to pay for his family. That's how he pays to put food on the table. Okay, He's always going to want to go out onto the field no matter what happens. You have to step in and say, no, you are not okay. And everybody failed Tua there. Tua failed himself, and it just it was just everybody failed in every direction. Okay, so that does it for sports this week. Let's move it on to esports here quickly. Pentakill. All right, so world's play-ins have begun for League of Legends, and Evil Geniuses didn't make as much of a of a mess of themselves as I thought they would. Um, as I'm speaking right now, because these things, I don't know what's been going on, but they've had so many pauses, so many delays between games. It's been a shambles. But the games have been pretty entertaining as we've gone through. Evil Geniuses does need to win a play or a, a playoff, I guess, a, a best of one to move for farther into the play-in stuff. So right now we're in the best of one series, trying to figure out the top two from each um, from each side, and then the second seeds face off against each other in a best of five. I think this is how this works. It's stupid, complicated. Nobody understands it, and they really need to do a better job at at making this just viewer friendly. I mean, at what point do you do you just look at it and go, what is happening? Can we get someone off the street into a room and then explain this and have them exit the room and say, yeah, I know what's going on there. Because with this, no way. But Evil Geniuses needs to face off against the Japanese team, focus me, and they need to win that to be able to move on. Um, but, I mean, Evil Geniuses has won three games. I didn't think they'd even win one, if I'm being honest. But <clears throat> here we are. We're still in the play-ins. And then uh, the plans end on Tuesday, I believe. And then we'll figure out the groups for the group stages. Uh, They will get filled out as we go. Obviously, I'm only going to be focusing on North American teams because, well, I'm North American and I don't really care about any other region. 
So that's where my focus is. And right now, Evil Geniuses, they should win. Uh, the people I were I was watching were all surprised that they lost in the first place today against that team. So, I mean, as we move forward into this next game, I would imagine Evil Geniuses would win. But you know, if anything has if if time has taught me anything here, it's that you really don't know when it comes to League of Legends. You just don't know. I mean, I had Team Liquid winning North America easily. I, that's a little I knew. But that's where we're at for League Worlds right now. Um, and really quickly now, let's move on to video games. All right, so I did pick up FIFA 23. Kind of wishing I didn't. But they did make a few... I don't know if I would call them improvements, but changes to the manager mode, which is really the only mode I play when it comes to sports games. I don't really play on the field. I don't really play like the the stupid ultimate team garbage, the card collector stuff. I don't do that. Um, I just do the manager mode. And as I've said in the past, the majority of players of these games do as well. So first, I'll give you the IGN review. IGN gave it a seven. That's way too high. <laughs> I would think they would have given it a 6 or a 5. Um, the changes that they made to manager mode were that you can play as actual managers. Because in the past, you could, you know, negotiate with real-world managers like uh, Antonio Conte of Tottenham or Pep Guardiola of Manchester City, Mikel Arteta of Arsenal, Eric Ten Hag of Manchester United, you know, the big name managers. Well, they don't even have all the big ones. Like, they do have the big names, but they also have the names of different leagues. They have ignored MLS, and I don't know, I don't appreciate that as a supporter of the MLS. I also don't appreciate that they don't have more stadiums from MLS in the game. There are a few stadiums that are picturesque, and yes, I am calling them out for not including what was formerly known as the Riot, Rio Tinto. I'm okay with that. Put it in the game. It's gorgeous. Just look at it. You'll see that you should put it in the game. Um, but for the most part, it's more of the same as far as manager mode is concerned. If you like how manager mode is played in the past, then you're going to like this. It has the updated rosters, obviously. $70 to update your rosters. Woo! That's kind of where we're at with sports games right now. Uh, you can play as Ted Lasso. Forgive me, I do not know the TV show he is from, but it's, he's the uh, clueless American who was hired as a manager of a European football team. He thought it was American football. It's actually soccer. He knows nothing about it, so it's a very funny, uh, fun romp, whatever. That's the TV show. I, I've heard it's great. I don't really watch TV myself, but you can play as him and that fictional team. I think it's AFC Richmond, but it, it's it's FIFA. And so this falls, I have my three-tiered rating system where buy it no matter what, you're going to enjoy it. Buy it if you're a fan of the franchise or avoid it altogether. It's in that number two slot. Buy it if you enjoy the franchise, if you've enjoyed manager mode in the past. FIFA Ultimate Team, if you enjoy that, I'm sorry, you may need to go see a doctor. But yeah, I mean, if you enjoy FIFA, get FIFA. That's really where it is. It's, it's still the best soccer sim out there. Pro Evolution Soccer has rebranded to eFootball, I believe, and it has fallen off a cliff. The reviews for it have always been decent until they made that switch, and now it's garbage. So unfortunately, much like with Madden, and much like with NBA 2K, it's the only one on the market, 
and is the only one that you can play that is actually playable and not broken and not hiding a bunch of stuff behind pay windows. So that's where that's at. Coming up, we have Overwatch 2, as well as a few other games coming out mercifully later this month. I will be getting into those, but that's the episode this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please share it around. Get as many people in here as possible. You guys are all superstars for doing that, and I will see you next week when we spelunk back into the Matt Cave. <laughs>